Welcome to the war from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. Uh, if you have a comment, send it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Well, with the early success of the invasion, one of the great dangers faced um, was the possibility of the American people becoming apathetic or at the very least war-weary. And uh, it was crucial to see that that didn't happen. To find out where the American people stood, uh, there'd be a great test uh, in the summer of 1944, uh, where the fifth uh, war loan drive was held. And it, the needed results would be, uh, it would be critical to see whether Americans would uh, once again step up to the plate and help the country meet and exceed its goals. And to further that end, there was a series of dramas broadcast across most radio stations uh, called uh, Four for the Fifth. Uh, the series was produced and uh, directed by Arch Obler and William N. Robeson. And we'll take a listen to the second of these programs. The original air date was June 24th of 1944. And uh, this is... Um, uh, I should say, just at the start of this, I won't back, uh, vouch for the historical veracity of every statement here, but let's go ahead and take a listen to the episode, High Command, the second of Four for the Fifth. Four for the Fifth. Four radio programs for the Fifth War Loan, produced by Arch Obler and William N. Robeson for the United States Treasury. And starring on this broadcast, Mr. Paul Lucas and Mr. Eric von Stroheim. This is a war not only of men and machines, but of ideas. As the second of this special series of broadcasts about the ideas for which we fight and those which we fight against, we present High Command, a radio document written and directed by William N. Robeson and starring Mr. Paul Lucas and Mr. Eric von Stroheim. when a lance corporal can assume the position of an opponent. The lance corporal is the house painter, the little man who chews rugs, the jerk with the toothbrush mustache and the delusions of grandeur, that character with the comedy name Schicklegruber, at whom we so often poked fun in those days when we were whistling to keep up our courage. But those words you just heard were not uttered by a brave radio commentator or a bellicose columnist safe behind our eastern sea frontier. They were spoken to Hitler's face by the former commander-in-chief of the German army, Field Marshal Walter Heinrich Alfred Hermann von Prauchitsch. The days are over when a lance corporal can assume the position of a Napoleon. <laughs> The 
hand of yesterday draws the picture of tomorrow. We'll examine that hand. We'll read that palm. But first, let's look at the picture. The scene is Berchtesgaden. You know Berchtesgaden, where der Führer consults his intuitions and issues his orders. The time is not far in the future. Next week, next month, certainly we hope by the end of this year. The characters... Field Marshal von Rundstedt, Field Marshal von Bock, and Herr von Brauchitsch, mein Führer. Von Brauchitsch? I dismissed him two years ago. Nevertheless, he is here with the others. Send them away. Uh, that will be impossible, Adolf. Why? They are not unaccompanied. What do you mean? A battalion of the Reichswehr with them. Where are my elite guards? They have been relieved for the time being. Treason! They dare to threaten me? Uh, they say it is a protective measure. Uh, you have used the word many times, Führer. Don't they remember how von Fritsch died in Poland? Doesn't von Paukitsch remember what I did to him? Don't they know that with a single command I can have them all... Uh, their men surround the villa. Show them in. Gentlemen... What is the meaning of this? We represent the high command. The high command? You? Where are my loyal generals? Where's Milch? Where's Rommel? Trying to stop Eisenhower at the Rhine. Where's Keitel? Probably running away from the Russians in Poland. And Kesselring can't hold the Brenner Pass for another 48 hours. Sign this. What is it? Your resignation. Or if you prefer, your abdication. Traitors! Ragtag and bobtail of an outworn caste system. Worthless clowns! My intuitions. Why didn't I listen to my intuitions? The same intuitions that made you attack Russia against our advice? And sent a half million men to their death at Stalingrad? Oh, ungrateful. Monstrous! When the German people hear of this... The German people will take orders from the man who carries the gun. History has never witnessed such perfidy. Ah, uh, Hitler, your knowledge of history is as inadequate as your intuition in military matters. In 1918, General Ludendorff was compelled to make the same demand of the Kaiser and for the same reason. The United Nations will not make peace with you or the Nazi party. Both must be liquidated at once. In the high command, we'll be free to negotiate peace, which will leave our army intact and the Reich uninvaded, just as we did in 1918. We have lost nothing that we had when we started, and we will be strong enough to attack again in 25 years. But we can do nothing as long as you remain as Reichsführer. Hermann, my faithful friend, my old comrade... What shall I do? What else can you do, Adolf? Very well. When the Deutsches Reich calls, I, its humblest soldier, am willing to sacrifice everything. Spare us the theatrics, Herr Hitler. You're fortunate to escape with your life. Well, that's the silliest thing I ever heard in my life. John, don't you think that was silly? Yeah, these radio plays. Propaganda. Hm. Another war in 25 years. 
Well, when we get through with the Germans this time, there won't be nothing left of them. Well, we're going to march right down the Underton Linden and hang Hitler to the nearest lamppost, if any of them are still standing. Why, we'll... Pardon me, please. Huh? Is this 1944 or 1918? Huh? <laughs> I remember the same brave American words in 1918. Only it was the Kaiser you were going to hang. And I believe he was to be suspended from a sour apple tree. Who are you? I am a German. And you, I believe, are John Manstreet, American. And, pardon me, Mrs. Manstreet. Oh, yeah, how'd you know? We have a file on you and Mrs. Manstreet at the Ausland Institute in Stuttgart. The typical American and his wife interest us very much. <laughs> very much. Who are you? Just a German. You might say your opposite number. You could call me Herr Mannstrasse. Are you a Nazi? I am a good German. Well, does that mean you're a Nazi? Of course. Then I don't want to have anything to do with you. Come on, Mary, let's get as far away from this guy. <laughs> now, isn't that a typical American attitude? Hide your head in the sand. Walk away from the unpleasant. We Germans are different. What we like least, we learn the most about, so that we can defeat and conquer it. For instance? The United States of America, for instance. Are you kidding? Listen, we beat the pants off you, Heinies, in 1918. And we're doing the same thing right now. It gives me a great joy to hear you say that. Why? Because as long as you and your fellow citizens act and think as you did in 1918, we will win the war. What? Nonsense. Just as we did in 1918. Hey, now, wait a minute. Let me get this straight. You won the war in 1918? Certainly. <laughs> Brother, I've been reading the wrong history books. That's wholly possible. They concern themselves more with names and dates than with economics. Economics? Well, we made you pay for that war. And you got in such a bad financial jam, we had to send our own experts over to straighten you out. Yes, that's your side of the story. <laughs> and don't forget the wave of Christian compassion that swept your country for poor, defeated Germany. You are such naive dumkops. Listen the way Germany handles money. Listen to how your dollar diplomacy failed to work. Germany must pay for the war. Germany must pay to the last penny. Germany must pay to the last sou. But how much? Forty billions. Seventy-five billions. One hundred twenty billion. How much? That was the question. How much for the leveled villages of France? How much for the hulls of British ships rusting on the bottom of the sea? How much is a dead Belgian baby worth? But these men around the long green table are not sentimentalists. These are statesmen, lawgivers, practical men. This is the civilized world, victorious, sitting judgment on a beaten enemy. And you can't get blood out of a turnip, can you? We'll settle for 15 billion. It is too much. We can never pay. You gentlemen forget that we have fought a war on two fronts. We are bled white. The flower of our manhood is gone. Germany is beaten to the dust. In Flanders Field, the sightless eyes of a million corpses Weep dry tears for poor Germany. And the poppies bow in a breeze that whispers, Scrap of paper, scrap of paper.
In Berlin, the high command sits. The costumes have changed, but the characters are the same. Dressed in drab business suits, the Junkers still rule Germany. You know the names of some of them. Ludendorff, von Hindenburg, von Mackensen, and the junior officers, the Fonz who today command the armies of the Reich. Fifteen billions. It is better than I had hoped for. The English are so civilized, and the Americans so sentimental. They will believe anything. If they're willing to let us off for 15 billions, why should we pay them at all? Precisely what I was thinking. We will need every mark we can lay hands on to rearm. It's an incredible story. Incredible that the Germans would attempt such a swindle. Incredible that we let them get away with it. Here are the shameful and shabby facts. These are some of the items we permitted the Germans to charge off against their reparations bill. Here's a padded expense account for you. Item, the expenses of the Allied armies of occupation. Item, the cost of demobilizing the German army. Item, the value of the Grand Fleet, which the Germans themselves had scuttled at Scapa Flow. Although Germany is now saddled with an almost impossible reparation structure imposed by a revenge-seeking debt commission, there is no reason to believe that with help, German industry cannot stage a comeback. The plants still exist. The technical skills are there. We feel that German industry represents a real opportunity to the American investor. Excellent. Excellent. This is only one of many mine here. The financial pages of the American newspapers are filled with such stories. They will respond. The American likes nothing better than 6% on the dollar. We responded. And so did the rest of the gullible, sentimental, civilized world. The details are too painful to enumerate. The disgraceful result was this. When a moratorium was declared in 1931, Germany had paid out only four and a half billion dollars and had received in loans and investments six and a half billion. Germany's profit from World War One, two billion dollars. So, <laughs> you see, we really won the war. But it's unbelievable. It is true, though. That double-crossing Hitler. Ah, Mr. Mansfield, you do the Führer an injustice. We managed to solve the reparations problem before he came into power. You see, we managed to convince you that the only way your investments could be saved was by cancelling reparations. And you persuaded England and France to declare the moratorium. <laughs> we are grateful to you for that. And for your gift of several billion dollars. What do you mean? The American investments in Germany. Naturally, as soon as he came into power, the Fuhrer cancelled them. What? <laughs> oh, yes. We've built quite a few submarines and planes and tanks with your money. Of course, uh, Herr Hitler gets too much credit these days. If you can call it credit. He thought up this jive about the master race, didn't he? Oh, my, no. Hitler is merely the contemporary expression of German supremacy. The plan existed long before Hitler. Uh, we have proved from history the characteristics of the Germans as an original people... And as a people that has the right to call itself simply the people. Those words describing the rights of the master race 
were written long before Hitler, more than a hundred years ago, by Johann Gottlieb Fischer. Between states, there is no right or might except that of the stronger. A state, even when on the very point of making war, should solemnly assert its love of peace and aversion to conquest. Theory? The words of a musty philosopher? Distant echoes from an ancient ivory tower? Listen. The German people have no thoughts of invading any country. Hitler in 1933. The assertions of the German Reich plans to coerce the Austrian state is absurd and cannot be substantiated. Hitler in 1934. Germany has concluded a non-aggression pact with Poland, which is more than a valuable contribution to European peace. And she will adhere to it unconditionally. Hitler in 1935. We have more territorial demands to make in Europe. 1936. The year the Rhineland was reoccupied. We have assured all of our immediate neighbors of the integrity of their territory as far as Germany is concerned. That is no hollow phrase. It is our secret will. 1938, the year of the Anschluss, the invasion of Austria. We have but one wish, that in the coming year we may be able to make our contribution to this general pacification of the whole world. <laughs> the Fuhrer in 1939, the year we seized Czechoslovakia and invaded Poland. Even when on the very point of making war, assert love of peace, aversion to conquest. You see how well we Germans learn our lessons? War is the only fit instrument for the achievement of a political policy. Who's shooting off his face now? General von Clausewitz. More than a hundred years ago, he foresaw total war. Violence arms itself with the inventions of art and science. He foresaw Blitzkrieg. An attack directed to the destruction of the enemy which has not the boldness to shoot like the point of an arrow directed at the heart of the enemy's power can never hit the mark. This we have proved in Poland, Norway, Holland, France, and Belgium. Yeah, how about Russia? A mistake of the Fuhrer, not of the high command. And England? <laughs> An island of little importance. Clausewitz teaches us to strike at the heart of the enemy's power. We know now that means Detroit, Pittsburgh, Dallas, Baltimore... Uh? Oh, yes. You will become the slaves of the master race. If not in this war, then in the next. Oh, but we're fighting this war, so there won't be any more wars. Precisely the reason why you fought the last one. <laughs> and while you piddle in such democratic and utopian dreams, while you mouth your puking for freedoms, we live by stern realities. Here is truth. Here are the words of Heinrich von Tritschke. War is just and moral. And the ideal of eternal peace is both unjust and immoral and impossible. God will see to it that war shall return again. Every sovereign state has the unquestionable right to declare war when it so desires, and therefore it is possible for every state to cancel its treaties. <laughs> If that's your racket, I don't see why nations go on doing business with you. 
Why don't they get wise? <laughs> Why? Well, my American friend, one of your countrymen explained that very simple. P.T. Barnum, I believe his name was, a regisseur of some note. Remember? There is a sucker born every minute. Oh, yeah? Well, another American said, you can fool all of the people some of the time, and you can fool some of the people all the time. But you can't fool all the people all the time. I wonder, Mr. Manstreet. <laughs> I wonder. Our Fuhrer has always insisted on telling big lies. He believes that the bigger the lie, the more people will believe, at least some of it. It is a very efficient system. Look how well it works in your country. Well, what do you mean? The lies you believe about your Jews and Negroes and Mexicans and Catholics. All your minorities. We've helped to plan those lies. And after this war is over, we will see to it that your tensions, your hatreds and prejudices are kept alive. It will make you so much softer when we attack you again. Why are you telling us all this? Because you won't believe it. Listen, Chum, there isn't going to be any next time. You've had two tries at this world domination racket, and when we get through with you this time, you'll be through. Ah, but you have a saying, the third time is the charm. There isn't going to be any third time, I tell you. <laughs> Those are brave words now. But do you, you soft-hearted and sentimental Americans, know what your invasion will cost? Will you be able to bear page after page of your newspapers filled with the list of your dead? Do you think your sentimentalists will be silent then? Even now, your country is divided. Your East Coast is at war with us, but your West Coast thinks only of the war with Japan. And in between, isn't it true that your people in the Middle West are sick and tired of the war? <laughs> you've gone without gasoline and rubber tires, and you've scrimped on shoes and liquor, and all of you are pretty fed up, aren't you? You are grumbling, and we know. We help to start the grumbles. And now you are trying to attack us on our own ground. <laughs> you are trying to invade, and you are going to lose hundreds of thousands of your finest young men. For what? You are going to ask yourselves. Peace now, your brown-tongued orators will bellow. No foreign entanglements. Get the boys home by Christmas. What's left of them, your mothers will plead. We know you, Americans. Germany is counting on you. The scene is Berchtesgaden again. The time is in a not-too-distant future. And a few minutes after Herr Hitler has been permitted to flee to the sanctuary of one of those neutral countries which still refuses to distinguish between political refugees and global criminals. The characters, the high command, the same old gang. Their grandfathers unified Germany and crowned Wilhelm I emperor in Versailles in 1871. Their fathers made the deal at Compiègne in 1918. And as their fathers did then, they have just fired their frontman. The German high command, which has ruled Germany for nearly a century, carries on. Well, gentlemen, now we can get down to business. Uh, what are your feelings about peace terms? The policy we followed in 1919 will do admirably now. Object to everything, cry poverty, and play upon world sympathy. We are in a much better position now than we were then. The machinery, the art treasures, now we have the loot of all Europe. Of course, you realize they will push us back to our old borders. We will probably even lose Austria for the time being. That's all right. What good is France or Poland or Norway to anyone now? 
Uh, what are the latest figures on Poland, von Bach? Oh, I've lost count, General. We must certainly have annihilated at least three million Poles and Jews, and a great percentage of the young women have been sterilized. There's not much danger of Poland breeding a generation of fighting men in the next 25 years. How about France, uh, von Rundstedt? Well, you know Hitler has had a million and a half Frenchmen in prison camps and labor battalions since 1940. They're worthless as fathers now. And in France itself, we've managed to increase the death rate over the birth rate. The children that are still alive are quite worthless. Starvation is so much more effective than machine guns, especially with the young. We agreed before this war began that our great mistake in 1918 was to spare the civilians of enemy countries. We agreed that it would be necessary to destroy at least a third of the inhabitants of occupied territories. I believe I can safely say that this has been done. There's no doubt about it. Good, good. Now, here within the Reich, I think it will be advisable to continue with the sex freedom introduced by Herr Hitler. We must breed a sufficient number of strong young men so that in 25 years we will be in a position to resume our campaign for world domination. We'll have to go carefully with that. We'll need the sanction of the church for the next few years. Don't worry. There are ways. Nudism and strength through joy were very successful before... You can always describe license as freedom and uh, modernism. I don't think that it's too early to review the mistakes we made this time and to face the hard facts of our present position. The United States is now the greatest sea power in the world, yet even the British Navy alone kept us from invading England. We must build a great navy this time. You think they will let us? They forbade us to rearm before, but we found a way then... We will find a way now. But there is one mistake we must not make again. What is that, General? That was the fundamental error we made this time. We should have realized from the first that the United States would be the heart of Anglo-Saxon power. Then the United States must be defeated the next time. Certainly. The unpleasant truth is, gentlemen, no nation can hope for world domination unless it controls the vast resources of the United States. Agreed. Our strategy must be directed toward America. And doubly intensified. We must not make the same mistake. Ah, that's Buck Rogers stuff. You can't get away with that in this day and age. You don't have to take my word for it. Just read your own newspapers. Right-hand column, page 3, New York Times of May 26th. An Associated Press dispatch from London, dated May 31st. The three-column story on page 5 in the New York Post of February 5th. Page 51 on Life magazine for May 8th. Our plans are not secret. That's a lot of propaganda. <laughs> the Fuhrer said the bigger the lie, the more likely it is to be believed. But you, Mr. and Mrs. Mansfield, prove another axiom. Huh? What? The bigger the unpleasant truth, the less likely it is to be believed in America.
and gentlemen, you have just heard Mr. Paul Lucas and Mr. Eric von Stroheim in High Command, a radio document written and directed by William N. Robeson, with an original musical score composed and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. And now, a word from Mr. Paul Lucas. Ladies and gentlemen, the words and sentiments which I expressed in the part I have just played are as loathsome to me, a naturalized American citizen, as I know they are to you who are native-born. But these words had to be said. These ideas had to be exposed. All of us must realize that there still exists on this globe and will continue to exist, unless we are extremely careful, a group of ruthlessly clever and, and utterly unscrupulous men who are plotting a future of humiliation and slavery for us and for our children. This is not an hysterical overstatement. We are not viewing with undue alarm. What you have heard is sober fact, authenticated and documented many times over. Now, this cancer must be eliminated. This virus must be killed. This war must be prosecuted until it ends in the unconditional surrender of the German people, the Nazi party, and the dangerous murderers who control them both, the German high command. Now, your part in this campaign for the extinction of evil is simple and clear. Back the attack by more than before. This has been the second of four radio programs for the Fifth War Loan, produced by Arch Obler and William N. Robeson for the United States Treasury. Consult your local newspaper for the broadcast time of the third of this special series. The play, I Want to Go Back, written and directed by Arch Obler and starring Mr. Fred McMurray. Welcome back. Well, as I said at the start of the show, we can't. I couldn't vouch for everything in there. The main thing that stood out to me that was uh, somewhat off was the way Clausewitz was treated. Clausewitz was a uh, 18th and 19th century Prussian uh, soldier. When uh, Prussia surrendered, actually traveled to Russia uh, to fight Napoleon, and just a generally respected strategist. But it, this was the war, and we were concerned about keeping people engaged. Of course, we know that the biggest problem with the premise was that the military high command and professional soldiers wanted to take control from Hitler, and some were even willing to plot assassination against Hitler. 
but ultimately these efforts failed. I do think that uh, there had been any sort of negotiated settlement with Germany, it probably would not have helped the stability of the world situation, which was what they were trying to avoid and to spur people on to more donations. That will do it for today. If you uh, have a comment, email me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. I welcome your story or that of loved ones who served during World War II. Ken Curlin provides our opening theme music, kencurlin.com. I am your host, Adam Graham. This uh, series is provided as a service of the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio, greatdetectives.net.